Part One, Chapter Seven of A Key to Uncle Tom's Cabin, by Harriet Beecher Stowe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Seven, Miss Ophelia miss ophelia stands as the representative of a numerous class of the very best of northern people to whom perhaps if our lord should again address his churches a letter as he did those of old time he would use the same words as then i know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which are apostles and are not and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. There are in this class of people activity, zeal, unflinching conscientiousness, clear intellectual discriminations between truth and error, and great logical and doctrinal correctness but there is a want of that spirit of love without which in the eye of christ the most perfect character is as deficient as a wax flower wanting in life and perfume yet this blessed principle is not dead in their hearts but only sleepeth and so great is the real and genuine goodness that when the true magnet of divine love is applied they always answer to its touch. So when the gentle Eva, who is an impersonation of childish form of the love of Christ, solves at once, by a blessed instinct, the problem which Ophelia has long been unable to solve by dint of utmost hammering and a vehement effort, she at once, with a good and honest heart, perceives and acknowledges her mistake, and is willing to learn even of a little child miss ophelia again represents one great sin of which unconsciously american christians have allowed themselves to be guilty unconsciously it must be for nowhere is conscience so predominant as among this class and nowhere is there a more honest strife to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of christ one of the first and most declared objects of the gospel has been to break down all those irrational barriers and prejudices which separate the human brotherhood into diverse and contending clans. Paul says, In Christ Jesus there is neither Jew nor Greek, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free. The Jews at that time were separated from the Gentiles by an insuperable wall of prejudice. They could not eat and drink together, nor pray together, but the apostles most earnestly labored to show them the sin of this prejudice. St. Paul says to the Ephesians, speaking of this former division, He is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. It is very easy to see that although slavery has been abolished in the New England states, it has left behind it the most baneful feature of this system that which makes american worse than roman slavery the prejudice of caste and color in the new england states the negro has been treated as belonging to an inferior race of beings 
forced to sit apart by himself in the place of worship, his children excluded from the schools, himself excluded from the railroad car and the omnibus, and the peculiarities of his race made the subject of bitter contempt and ridicule. This course of conduct has been justified by saying that they are a degraded race. But how came they degraded? Take any class of men and shut them from the means of education, deprive them of hope and self-respect, close them to all avenues of honorable ambition, and you will make just such a race of them as the Negroes have been among us. So singular and so melancholy is the dominion of prejudice over the human mind, that professors of Christianity in our New England states have often, with very serious self-denial to themselves, sent the gospel to heathen as dark-complexioned as the Africans, when in their very neighborhood were persons of dark complexion, who on that account were forbidden to send their children to the schools, and discouraged from entering the churches, the effect of this has been directly to degrade and depress the race. And then this very degradation and depression has been pleaded as the reason for continuing this course. Not long since the writer called upon a benevolent lady, and during the course of the call the conversation turned upon the incidents of a fire which had occurred the night before in the neighborhood. A deserted house had been burned to the ground. The lady said it was supposed it had been set on fire. What could be anyone's motive for setting it on fire, said the writer. Well, replied the lady, it was supposed that a colored family was about to move into it, and it was thought that the neighborhood wouldn't consent to that, so it was supposed that was the reason. This was said with an air of innocence and much unconcern. The writer inquired, was it a family of bad character? No, not particularly that I know of, said the lady. But then, they are Negroes, you know. Now this lady is a very pious lady. She probably would deny herself to send the gospel to the heathen, and if she had ever thought of considering this family a heathen family, would have felt the deepest interest in their welfare, because on the subject of duty to the heathen, she had been frequently instructed from the pulpit and had all her religious and conscientious sensibilities awake. Probably she had never listened from the pulpit to a sermon which should exhibit the great truth that in Christ Jesus there is neither Jew nor Greek, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free. Supposing our Lord was now on earth, as he was once, what course is it probable that he would pursue with regard to this unchristian prejudice of color? There was a class of men in those days as much despised by the Jews as the Negroes are by us, and it was a complaint made of Christ that he was a friend of publicans and sinners. And if Christ should enter on some communion season into a place of worship and see the colored man sitting afar off by himself, would it not be just in his spirit to go there and sit with him, rather than to take the seats of his richer and more prosperous brethren. It is, however, but just to our northern Christians to say that this sin has been committed ignorantly and in unbelief, and that within a few years signs of a much better spirit have begun to manifest themselves in some places. 
recently the doors of schoolhouses have been thrown open to the children and many a good miss ophelia has opened her eyes in astonishment to find that while she has been devouring the missionary herald and going without butter on her bread and sugar in her tea to send the gospel to the sandwich islands there is a very thriving colony of heathen in her own neighborhood at home and true to her own good and honest heart she has resolved not to give up her prayers and efforts for the heathen abroad but to add thereunto labors for the heathen at home our safety and hope in this matter is this that there are multitudes in all our churches who do most truly and sincerely love christ above all things and who just so soon as a little reflection shall have made them sensible of their duty in this respect will most earnestly perform it it is true that if they do they may be called abolitionists but the true miss ophelia is not afraid of a hard name in a good cause and has rather learned to consider the reproach of christ is greater treasure than the riches of egypt that there is much already for christians to do in enlightening the moral sense of the community on this subject will appear if we consider that even so well educated and gentlemanly a man as frederick douglas was recently obliged to pass the night on the deck of a steamer when in delicate health because this senseless prejudice deprived him of a place in the cabin and that that very laborious and useful minister dr pennington of new york has during the last season been often obliged seriously to endanger his health by walking to his pastoral labors over his very extended parish under a burning sun because he could not be allowed the common privilege of the omnibus which conveys every class of white men from the most refined to the lowest and most disgusting let us consider now the number of professors of the religion of christ in new york and consider also that by the very fact of their profession they consider dr pennington the brother of their lord and a member with them of the body of christ now these christians are influential rich and powerful they can control public sentiment on any subject that they think of any particular importance and they profess by their religion that if one member suffers all the members suffer with it it is a serious question whether such a marked indignity offered to christ in his ministry in the person of a colored brother without any remonstrance on their part will not lead to a general feeling that all that the bible says about the union of christians is a mere hollow sound and means nothing those who are anxious to do something directly to improve the condition of the slave can do it in no way so directly as by elevating the condition of the free colored people around them and taking every pains to give them equal rights and privileges this unchristian prejudice has doubtless stood in the way of the emancipation of hundreds of slaves the slaveholder feeling and acknowledging the evils of slavery has come to the north and seen evidences of this unkindly and unchristian state of feeling towards the slave and has thus reflected within himself if i keep my slave at the south he is it is true under the dominion of a very severe law but then he enjoys the advantage of my friendship and assistance and derives through his connection with me and my family some kind of a position in the community as my servant he is allowed a seat in the car and a place at the table but if i emancipate him and send him north he will encounter substantially 
all the disadvantages of slavery, with no master to protect him. This mode of reasoning has proved an apology to many a man for keeping his slaves in a position which he confesses to be a bad one, and it will be at once perceived that should the position of the negro be conspicuously reversed in our northern states, the effect upon the emancipation of the slave would be very great. They then who keep up this prejudice may be said to be, in a certain sense, slaveholders. It is not meant by this that all distinctions of society should be broken over, and that people should be obliged to choose their intimate associates from a class unfitted by education and habits to sympathize with them. The negro should not be lifted out of his sphere of life because he is a negro, but he should be treated with Christian courtesy in his sphere, in the railroad car, in the omnibus and steamboat. All ranks and degrees of white persons move with unquestioned freedom side by side, and Christianity requires that the Negro have the same privilege, that the dirtiest and most uneducated foreigner or American, with a breath redolent of whiskey and clothes foul and disordered, should have an unquestioned right to take a seat next to any person in a railroad car or steamboat, and that the respectable, decent, and gentlemanly Negro should be excluded simply because he is a Negro, cannot be considered otherwise than as an irrational and unchristian thing, and any Christian who allows such things done in his presence without remonstrance and the use of his Christian influence will certainly be made deeply sensible of his error when he comes at last to direct and personal interview with his Lord. There is no hope for this matter, if the love of Christ is not strong enough, and if it cannot be said with regard to the two races, He is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. The time is coming rapidly when the upper classes in society must learn that their education, wealth, and refinement are not their own, that they have no right to use them for their own selfish benefit, but that they should hold them rather, as Fenelon expresses it, as a ministry, a stewardship, which they hold in trust for the benefit of their poor brethren. In some of the very highest circles in England and America, we begin to see illustrious examples of the commencement of such a condition of things. One of the merchant princes of Boston, whose funeral has lately been celebrated in our city, afforded in his life a beautiful example of this truth. His wealth was the wealth of thousands. He was the steward of the widow and the orphan. His funds were a savings bank wherein were laid up the resources of the poor, and the mourners at his funeral were the scholars of the school which he had founded. The officers of literary institutions which his munificence had endowed, the widows and orphans whom he had counseled and supported, and the men in all ranks and conditions of life who had been made by his benevolence to feel that his wealth was their wealth. May God raise up many men in Boston to enter into the spirit and labors of Amos Lawrence. This is the true socialism which comes from the spirit of Christ, and without breaking down existing orders of society, by love makes the property and possessions of the higher class the property of the lower. Men are always seeking to begin their reforms with the outward and physical. Christ begins his reforms in the heart. Men would break up all ranks of society, and throw all property into a common stock. But Christ would inspire the higher class 
with that divine spirit by which all the wealth and means and advantages of their position are used for the good of the lower we see also in the highest aristocracy of england instances of the same tendency among her oldest nobility there begin to arise lecturers to mechanics and patrons of ragged schools and it is said that even on the throne of england is a woman who weakly instructs her class of sunday school scholars from the children in the vicinity of her country residence in this way and not by an outward and physical division of property shall all things be had in common and when the white race shall regard their superiority over the colored one only as a talent entrusted for the advantage of their weaker brother then will the prejudice of caste melt away in the light of christianity end of part one chapter seven miss ophelia recording by peter strom sabetha kansas on june twentieth two thousand eighteen